Hello, Tome Show listeners. This is Sam Dillon, your Tome Editor, and the DM of the D&D Brief Podcast. D&D Brief is now going to be hosted on the Tome Show Network. To find back episodes, search under the Actual Play tab at thetomeshow.com. As always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. This is the D&D Brief Podcast, and I am your GM, Sam Dillon, and I am here with uh, my three out of my four players, uh, Matthew. Hello. And David. Hey. And Nina. Everyone. And so we are here, and one of the things that came up in a previous session was that Imarin, the character played by Nina, had a vision or a premonition or a dream or a message that was sent to her through her patron deity, who happens to be the goddess known as Goras, and... Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to play out a portion of that particular sequence of events. So, Imarin. Yes. You know, you have not spent a huge amount of time on a ship, but you've spent enough time on a ship that you are comfortable. And on the ship, you guys are just getting started and leaving Traston Finn. And you are being rocked gently to sleep by the waves as the boat travels. And you find yourself flying over a great expanse of water, as if you had wings. Your arms aren't flapping, but you are moving pretty swiftly. You're having feelings of great freedom and great joy. Pretty soon, after a few moments, you see land coming up in the distance. You're flying towards a a large forested island. And as you get closer and closer to it, you see that it's, it's not a huge island, but it is relatively large. And you descend down until you're just a few feet above the surface of the water. And you come up to a city that's bustling with activity. You fly around the town and you observe a lot of typical town activities. There's people haggling at a large open-air market. There are awnings flapping in the breeze. People laughing and joking and, and agreements being made. You hear some temple bells in the distance. You hear the laughter coming from a busy tavern. And you hear the sound of flutes and lutes from inside. And someone is being very entertaining. And you travel around the town a while, flying above, and soon you see a large domed building. It is the biggest building you have ever seen in your life. Its walls are made of stone, and they are covered in intricate carvings of ships and waves, and the sigil of Straben, which is a circle with three wavy lines in front of it. You recognize it even though Straben is not your deity. And you find yourself now standing in front of the main entrance. There are two humongous wooden doors. Each of them are hand-hewn from a single giant mangrove trunk. And on the front of the doors is a carving of a great roll of parchment. It's halfway unrolled. And it has two lines of text on it. The two lines say at the top, All Seekers Welcome. And below that, come as you are. 
by now you don't even remember landing on the ground, but you find yourself walking towards the doors. And as you approach, they open. The entryway that you've entered into is a large stone room. It has no windows, and there is a huge stone reception desk at the front. Behind the desk is a humongous wall cutting off the rest of the building. It has bas reliefs of hooded figures reading and writing upon it in every conceivable area. Standing behind the desk is a stone statue, and it is pointing at a book that is laid open upon the desk. The book contains the rules of the library, and it says, These are the rules of the Library of the Grey Towers. No item is to be removed from the premises. You can make copies manually if you own a parchment, or services can be provided. If you need help, just call on Tavros. Please sign to the right. And the arm of the statue moves, pointing now to your right. And as you look, there is a book there that was not there previously. On the book, there are a list of names, and a new name is being inscribed into it. There's no quill, and there's no hand pointing to it that you can see. But as you look at it, the name that is written into the book is the Trusted Daughter of Goras. As the name gets finished being written, the walls behind the desk slide back and to the sides, revealing a library beyond. Inside that library, as you walk through the doors, you see huge floor-to-ceiling shelves filled with books and scrolls and parchments. And between every set of two bookcases are huge wooden tables. They have sheets of parchment and quills upon them so that you could make copies of text that you find there. And this library is so, so vast. And as you walk through, you feel as though you're in a maze. But... Every time you get to an intersection or uh, entanglement of passageways, you make decisive turns and you go in a particular direction. You are sure that Goras is leading you down every correct passageway. You walk for what seems like hours, your steps echoing off the walls. It's the only sound you hear. That's how vast this place is. You're carrying a torch because there are no windows. It's all just stone columns and passageways and bookcases. Eventually, you come to a door, and on the front of that door, it's stone, and there is a humongous sigil etched into the middle of it. But the sigil has a gap, and the gap has a particular shape, and you feel yourself reaching into a bag connected to your waist, and you pull out a small piece of crystal from the bag, and you reach out and you see that it is formed to fit exactly into the gap in the sigil. As you put the small crystal into the sigil, the door glows with a bright blue light, and then it swings open silently. As you enter the small room, you see what look like hundreds of small purple reptilian creatures skittering away, hiding from you. In the middle of the room is a single pedestal with a book laying atop it. You walk forward and you see that this book is closed and it has a blue leather cover. And the title reads, The Book of Proofs. But just as you reach for the book, you hear voices behind you. 
He's got to be here somewhere. Come on. This way. All right. All right. Where, where, where do you think it is again? I don't know, but the, those villagers said they saw her coming this way, this, this direction. She's got to be here somewhere. All right. Let's go. Right, the bounty on here is huge. It's huge, I tell you. I mean, not like the small ones. We are the small, just little pittances we were after before. The boss wants her back. Got it. As you turn, you see in the doorway two big hulking humans wearing leather armor. On their shoulders is a sigil that is etched. And it's a sigil that you feel like you recognize, but it doesn't come to your mind right at the moment. You grab the book and you slip it into your bag as these two figures enter the doorway. What do you do? Um, <laughs> wow, okay. Um, they're in, they see me. They see you, for sure. They see you standing in front of a pedestal. Okay, I guess I... Are they armed? You can't tell. They they probably are armed. They look like a sort of smarmy pirate-type people. Okay. Um, just gonna take out my mace and run straight at them. <laughs> okay, well then I guess we'll be rolling some initiative. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, well, everybody roll initiative. Okay. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> Oh, I rolled a one. <laughs> I believe it or not. <laughs> you rolled five. I rolled a five too. Okay. Beats a one. <laughs> Beats two. Um, okay, so uh, I guess Imarin goes first. Great. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna swing at the one closest to me. Okay, so you all find yourself in a room that is relatively small. It's probably, oh, 10 feet by 10 feet. And the two pe- the two humans that walked in are standing very close to the door. You're probably equidistant from either one of them, so it's your choice uh, which one you attack, left or right. Okay, um, the one on the left. Okay, so that is going to be... The character played by Matt. So roll me an attack roll. Um, 16 hit. Matt, does that hit you? Yes. <laughs> All right. Roll some damage. Um, <laughs> four damage. Ah! So you hit him in the side with the mace... And he is not happy about it. Uh, but now it is their turn. What would the two of you like to do? I think the two beats me. <laughs> uh, I'm going to attempt to grapple this person. Okay. So you're going to roll a strength athletics check. And uh, Nina, you will also roll a strength athletics check. Oh. Um, ten. Uh, 19. Okay, uh, so tell me how you grab onto this person. Uh, I'm just going to just, like, grab her, like, try to grab her around the waist and her arms to stop her from hitting me. Okay. What is, uh, David's character going to do? Boss wants you. Yeah, (laughs) I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, hold her still, hold her still, we can't damage the book, the box (laughs) wants the book, let me, let me get a good headshot. Are you gonna take a swing? Yeah. Go ahead and roll an attack roll. 
Okay, uh, nine. Um, miss. So he swings but misses. What are you going to do, Nina? She's squirmy. She's squirmy. Yeah, I'm going to try and break free. Can I, can I move my hands at all? Can I move them enough to cast a spell? You can move enough to cast a spell or attack. What you can't do is run away. If you cast a spell, if it is a ranged spell, you cast it with disadvantage because you're being held in place uh, and you're in melee combat. Um, okay. Mm, crap. Okay. I'm, do I have a torch? You did have a torch in your hand, yes. You probably still held onto it, because there's no other light in the place. Okay. So I'm going to attempt to break free, and then I'm going to, if I break free, I'm going to take out the book and hold it over the torch. Okay, so to break free, you're going to make a dexterity acrobatics check and try to escape from the grasps of this smarmy, slimy pirate fellow. It's not so good. Oh, that's really not so good. That's a seven. (laughs) I got a a six to hold on to her. (laughs) Oh, so you, you rest yourself free, and you pull away, and you're going to hold the torch to the book? Is that what you're going to do? Yeah, I'm going to hold it, because they said they wanted the book, they can't harm the book, so I'm going to kind of, hoping they back off. Hey, hey, just take, take it easy there. You don't want yeah, to you don't you don't <laughs> do that. Okay, why Why are you after me, and why are you after the book? Who says we're after you? You did? And you grabbed me. Why are you here? You followed me. Look. Our, our boss just wants that book you got. Nothing else. Doesn't even want you. Just give us the book. We can all walk out of here. Who's your boss? I'm not going to tell you. I hold the book closer to the flame. Ah. Okay, I'm going to try to charge. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Wait, wait. Just, is that like a... So if you if you want to make an attack and like charge her and and try to knock the book out of her hand or something, you can just run and make a strength check and see if you can push her over while grabbing the book. Okay, I will do that. Okay. Oh, I rolled a nine. Strength of fourteen, so it's a plus two, right? So eleven. Yes. So Nina, I'll need a strength check from you as well. Or actually, that was an attack roll. So, what's your um, armor class? Uh, fifteen. Okay. And what'd you roll, David? A fourteen. Eleven. Eleven. Uh, so she she steps out of the way. She sidesteps your bull rush. Okay. I'll go sprawling into a pile of books. So, Nina, if you want to try to run out of the room and get away from them, you can you can attempt uh, a, a dexterity acrobatics check to try to get away. Ah, that's not good. Um, can I cast thaumaturgy to brighten the flame and like throw it at them so that they and then just run out? Yes, you can do that if you'd like. Okay. Does that give me any kind of advantage? That is a good question. Let me check here. And I also can't see. <laughs> but I have, I have light. I have the light cantrip. Mm-hmm. 
Um, let me see here. I'm freaking out, you guys. <laughs> I don't like being chased. <laughs> I'm kind of bouncy on my head. You don't like this. Um, yes, you can cast that spell, and it will... If you throw your torch at them, here's what you're here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna you're gonna cast that spell, okay? You're gonna throw the torch after you've cast the spell, and then you're gonna run. So what I need from you is still a dexterity acrobatics check, and you can do that with advantage. Okay. Okay, I got an eighteen. Okay. In order to to grab her, I need a dexterity saving throw from both of you. Uh, that's a natural one. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Uh, I rolled a nine. This die cannot roll very high. So nine. Uh, you said natural dexterity? Uh, dexterity save. Oh, dexterity save. So I only have a dex of 12, so plus one. So it's a total of 10. Okay. So the two of you try to trip her or grab her, and at the same time, either catch or bat away the torch in order to make it so that it doesn't burn you. And you knock the torch away. It, it flies to the corner of the room, and you see lots of skittering little creatures run in the opposite direction. And then she's gone. Okay. Can we give chase? You can give chase. Imran, you are running and running and running. And now... It feels like you're still in a maze, but you have no idea where you are. You are ultimately lost, especially because you can't see very well. You tried to cast a light cantrip, but it did not work. It lit up the air in front of you for a very brief moment, and it went out after a few seconds. And you just kept running, and you hear footsteps behind you. Eventually, you run and run and run, and you find yourself in a room that actually has some light. There are two braziers in this room, glowing with blue-colored coals. On one side of the room, on the opposite side of where you, of where you ran into the room, you see a door that looks like it's a doorway directly outside. You hear the footsteps coming up after you. And as you try to run through the doorway, you feel arms grab your arms and that grab at your legs and hold you back. And then you feel the ground shaking as if there's a humongous earthquake occurring and parts of the ceiling start falling in. And as you start to be covered in rubble, you hear these fellows that have tried to pull you and drag you away. You hear them also getting hit and still trying to pull you away. And as you look over, you see your reflection... You see your reflection in the side of the brazier, but you don't see Imran. You see your mother. And then you feel someone shaking your shoulder, and it is Konos waking you up because you have been having a dream. Oh, God. Hey, uh, you're right there. You looked like you were kind of in a bit of a fit. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm alright. Good. Uh, yeah, you looked like you had a pretty bad dream out there. Yeah, just some pretty good nightmares. Um, realistic ones. What about? <laughs> um, 
I don't know, nothing, nothing really in particular that stands out. Just rubble falling around me and people trying to catch me and just a general stress dream, I guess. But that's all over and done with. Uh, where are we? Where are we headed? What are we doing? We made it to the island. We're supposed to slay some crabs, I think. Mm-hmm. But was this our... So was this our first day out at sea, or have we arrived at this point? Or you, It is your first day out at sea, and you're in relatively unknown waters. If you'd like to check the navigation charts, you can give me um, an intelligence check with uh, advantage if you have any sort of navigator skill, which I think Konos does. Uh, you said intelligence check? Yes, please. Uh, 17, and then if I'm adding proficiency with navigator's tools, it's a 19. You notice that, uh, if, if you take the, if you take this direction that you're traveling in, this is the direction that Olgrat told you to travel in. He said, he said roughly two days south, south, east. And you notice that if you travel roughly two days south-southeast, you're going to be in the corner of the world. You're going to be relatively close to the area of the world where the acid veil is, and on the other corner is the world fall. And so I will remind you that the acid veil is a large barrier that seems to be made of some kind of corrosive material, and the world fall is where the edge of the world uh, occurs, and it is a literal humongous waterfall. And you're wondering about the ability of your new crew to be able to navigate through if you end up having to go very close to either one of those barriers. Well, I'll point out the to Captain Emerin the sort of hazards we are going to be potentially sailing into should we continue on this course. I say we continue until we deem it unsafe to continue. And there's and there's no immediate signs of any danger or trouble that were that were around that are around us at this point. The the danger is more about um, just being a, a new vessel with a new crew. I mean, the crew's not necessarily brand new, but they're new working for you. And um, you are, you know, after you've sailed for several hours, you are now in open ocean with no land in sight. And that can be a pretty trying experience. You did stock up your ship very well. You stocked up for a... 12-day journey, because you figured that uh, if it's about two or two and a half days south-southeast, that uh, might it's going to take you a couple of days to get there, and then it might take you half a day to actually find the island, which is apparently relatively small. But roll me a wisdom insight check, or, or, an, or a nature check, or an intelligence nature check. Either one of those, your choice, for all, all three of you. Uh, nature's a 10 for me. Okay. Uh, 14 for me. Okay. Uh, for me, uh, oh, it's a 3. 
Okay. Who got the highest? Nina got a 14? Yep. Okay. As as you're talking to Konos and you're sort of thinking about everything that you've experienced in the past couple of days and your your dream, you kind of realize, well, wait a minute. Th- this information was supposedly given to Olgrat by some of his his contacts, some, someone that sails on a vessel often. And you can't figure out why someone who's sailing on a trading vessel would be down in this corner. They, they mentioned that they sailed past it and they saw this huge crab, but well, why were they down there on the map? There are no islands down there. Traston Finn and Trast Bay is, are almost the most easterly island there is. As far as anyone knows. Okay. Definitely relay the information to both um, Konos and Axley. Okay. That's interesting. Um, mm. Sounds like something maybe a smuggler would find activity in an area that's uncharted. Possibly. <laughs> or pirates. I don't know. I don't even know if that sounds right. Have any of us heard of any like reports of sm- smugglers or pirates operating kind of out this this way in this direction no not particularly but there is a group of pirates that sort of frequents the area around trast bay you don't know if they frequent the area to the south southeast but you know that they have a particular symbol and their symbol is a shark tooth a silver shark tooth against a deep red background and they are, of course, called the Red Tooth Pirates because of that symbol. Even though the tooth is silver, but because of the red background, they call them the Red Tooth Pirates. Uh, you know that they have two or three ships. You're not sure exactly how many there are, actually. But um, you know that the most that the people have seen traveling together has been two or three, depending on whose account you believe. Do we have a lookout posted high in the rigging with a spyglass to keep an eye out? Uh, yes, you do actually. You have you have a, a lookout on the uh, foredeck, on the aft deck, and then someone up in the crow's nest. And they are constantly looking for number one uh, dangers in the ocean, like other ships. Number two, changes in the weather and in the clouds that may may not be immediately noticeable, but uh, being very high in the crow's nest, they might notice them first. And three, land. So those three things are constantly being watched for by your crew. No one has seen anything so far. Isn't there also a group that operates near the World Fall that like helps ships that get too close? There is a group that operates in the doldrums that oh. help oh, that help okay. ships that get stuck uh, traverse their way out of there. Uh, because what happens is the doldrums are these huge whirlpools, but they're not fast at all. But underneath them are these really entangling kelp forests. And so if a ship gets stuck in the slow turn of a, of a doldrum and also gets hung up on the kelp forest, they end up uh, taking damage and sinking or just getting stuck and floating around in the circle until they all starve. Got it. Yeah. Okay. It's a pretty gruesome death, actually. So a whole a whole faction has been uh, started in order to help that not happen. 
that's actually on the other side of the world. Um, the only reason that you know about that faction is because um, even though that's on the other side of the world, the you know they want to make sure that uh, it that doesn't happen anywhere else, right? That this is kind of a whole new world, so people don't know if those doldrums are going to sort of duplicate and start being found elsewhere and stuff like that. So, okay. so uh, you travel for a total of two and a half days, and actually you kind of meander off course a little bit, but that turns out to be a good thing. You, you, you traveled a little bit farther east than you thought that you wanted to. You wanted to keep a direct south-southeast tack, but you have now traveled further east than south. Okay. But then you see an island. So when you get the land ho signal from your lookout... It's possible that is the island, or it's possible that is a different island. It looks to be probably an hour or two away at this point. Um, so you, how big is it? It's hard to tell from this distance, but it's at least a mile. It's at least a mile long, because you wouldn't be able to see it otherwise. Excellent navigation job. Excellent. You found a pebble in the massive, massive <laughs> pond. <laughs> yes, isn't that what all the islands are, right? <laughs> yep. All right. I say we head there and check it out. See if this is what we're looking for. All right. Um, you end up getting pretty close to the island. When you get a couple of miles, maybe a mile away, one of the sailors says, I think we should stop here and you need to row in because it's getting pretty shallow. Fair enough. Look at this crew, so full of expertise. I enjoy. <laughs> so uh, the question is, are all three of you going to go in a little dinghy, as Ashaz would put it? Yes. Yes, I'm very eager to go explore it into the unknown. Okay. I believe that uh, Marcel will stay behind and, and take over the ship for you. Sounds great. Thanks, Marcel. Uh, so you row into the shore, and as you're coming into the shore, what you see is that this island is actually two islands, very close together, separated by a narrow little riverway. But of course, it's not really a river because it's salt water. And on one side, on the on the northern part of the island, you see a bunch of standing stones large stone pillars that are, they look like from where you're at that they're in a rough oval shape. And on the southern portion of the island, on the southern part, below the river part, you see the remnants of what looks like a stone building. And it looks like it has halfway fallen down. It is not intact by any means. Both of these uh, areas are... Uh, on a rough hill, and there is beachy area, beachy sand, all the way around both islands, as far as you can tell. Not just one, but two islands, my friends. Fate is with us. We are so lucky. <laughs> can you just sense the unknown waiting to be uncovered? It looks like there's a bit of unknown right in front of us here. <laughs> 
Which do we land on first? I think I'm a little more curious to check out the the, the, the building first. That's where I stand. Yeah, if there's signs of uh, occupants, maybe we should see what they know about these islands. Okay. Uh, so you row your boat in and you uh, beach it on the shore. And I'm assuming you pull it up enough that it won't float away on you. And as you exit the boat, you find yourself in the middle of a pretty grotesque sight. Um, there are piles of bird carcasses and piles of fish carcasses sitting out and rotting in the sun. What an incredible stench we've discovered. <laughs> you can say that. Um, yeah, actually, these uh, residents might not be what we think, so be prepared. Um, I have, like, one hand on my mace. <laughs> I'll be ready for anything. <laughs> what what are, the, uh, are the birds recently deceased, or are these, like, old... Ah, so you can give me a wisdom medicine check to determine that. Okay. Can I help with that? You can. How, how would you help him? You can. You can do your own check. I don't know if you could help him do that check. I can make my own check as well. You said medicine. Yeah, twelve. Mm, Eleven. Okay. Um, both of you move to different piles of nastiness and you start investigating these dead things and you can tell that they died from crushing force so it looks like they were their necks were crushed and they've only been dead for maybe a couple of hours not anything that uh even though they're rotting by now because of the hot sun they're not um they're, they haven't been out there for days or weeks. It's pretty fresh. It's a pretty fresh pile of kills. Okay. Are just their like necks crushed or like their whole bodies? Um, it's it's variable. So some of them are completely crushed. Some of them just a piece of them is crushed. And there are some bite marks on the areas that aren't crushed. Sounds like we have some concerns. While um, while Amaran and Axley are examining the these piles of bodies, can I look around and see if there's any kind of footprints around the area? indicate if someone's been here before sure uh you can give me a perception check okay. uh 10 you see lots of drag marks but because of the drag marks the any footprints that would be maybe expected there are obscured Go ahead also, all three of you, and give me a wisdom perception check. Uh, 20. Nice. 17. Um, you see some movement out of the corner of your eye, and the movement looks like it's coming from inside the ruined building, but uh, you're not really sure what it was, but you think you saw movement. Now, it could have been just the breeze blowing the some weeds or grasses or something like that, but it looked definitely like some sort of movement. Um, and Imran, in particular, got a longer glance at it 
than the other two of you. And it looks like it's very white. Almost like a person walking in white robes. Okay, we all saw that, right? I saw what? I saw some movement. What did you see? Yeah, okay. Um, something is in there. Someone or something. Um, in like white, white robes maybe? But I'm not entirely sure. Hmm. Um... Well, Can I like clothing and clean clothing might be a sign of at least civilized behavior. Who is stealthy? Because I think someone should look in the building quietly, but I am not stealthy, you guys. <laughs> Are there uh, windows in the building or just that one open? It's uh it's like ruins, so there are plenty of gaps in the in the walls at various different places that you could probably take a look in. Okay. I can give it a shot. Okay. Okay. Roll me a dexterity stealth check. Okay. 10 plus 6, 16. Okay. You uh, sneak your way up to a relatively large gap in the wall there. Let me roll a die here. And as you look in, you see that there is a figure in white robes, and it is kneeling down in front of something on the ground. You can't really tell what it is. Uh, and as the thing shifts over a little bit, you see that uh, the, the item on the ground that it is kneeling in front of is a very large fish. fish. A single fish, very large one. And then you see the the person sort of lean down and you hear the sounds of a crunching of bones and then the, the creature leans back and all you see are, are white robes but the creature leans back and you hear a chewing noise and it's just that one creature just the one creature and their fish And does it do the robes look clean and uh, well coiffed, or is it like rags? Uh, they look bleached, like sun bleached, but not exactly clean. If that makes sense, um, they're very white, but they have spots of residue on them from being in various dirt and sand. Okay. Um, can I? I want to cast minor illusion to have the fish flop out of their hands and start flopping around all over the floor in different directions. Okay. What's the, uh, is that a, a, yeah, but it's the, is it a, does the, have to make a wisdom save, correct? The creature that's being subject to the illusion. Um, what's your spell save DC? 13. Okay. Let me make a roll here. Okay. Um, so you cast the illusion, and uh, you see the fish flop. You know it's false, because the fish is still in the creature's hand. But uh, you see it sort of throw its arms up, and it throws its head back, and it kind of almost wails. Like, no! 
kind of, but it, but it doesn't really say no. It kind of makes a noise that you're, it's not speaking a language you're familiar with or something. It can't really vocalize the way that you were expecting maybe it to. Um, and with that sound, it becomes obvious to you that thing is not a human, but you don't really see anything. It's still, its robes are covering its entire body. Uh, but as it throws its arms back, you see that its hands are crab claws. Mm. Okay, I will withdraw. As you withdraw away, it starts rustling around and moving around and trying to catch the fish that it thinks is flopping all over. Okay. I will return to the group. Uh, friends, it doesn't look like it's a, a friendly inhabitant like we might have thought. It appears to be some kind of creature in sun-bleached clothing that's ravaging a fish like the ones we see on the ground here, and it has these claws for hands like crab claws. It made a wa- an inhumanly wail when I made it believe the fish fell out of its hands. That's rather disturbing. <laughs> but good to know. Um what's the plan at this point? Do we engage? Do we sneak around and see if there's anything else on this island? Well, we still have the whole northern section to look at as well, right? Yeah. Well, when it, when it whales, it. no. Did it whale, did it say no in a language that seemed like a language that I understood the intent? Or was it, it just like an animal sound? It was like an animal sound wailing as if in pain or disappointed or saddened or angry. You're, you can't really tell. It wasn't really speaking a language, but you understood the emotional effect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, I mean, we are looking for a crab lord of sorts, right? This is something that seems to be a bit more upscale from just a normal crab or large crab, so maybe it, it, it couldn't just be sitting here on the beach, though, alone, trying to eat a fish, could it? <laughs> Do you think something created that? Like something something's, larger? Like mutating all these different creatures into yeah. crab-like states? I don't know. Could be. Do I know anything about crab-like humanoid creatures or anything like that? Uh, you can roll me an intelligence nature check. I mean, it is somewhat humanoid, and it's wearing humanoid-like clothing that looks fairly bleached from the sun, so yeah, it looks like it might at one point have been a person. Okay, 17 for nature. Um, so, Konos knows of what he would probably consider old wives' tales about creatures um, being affected by some form of other power that turned the, turned the human or the crab, or the whatever type of creature it was, turned it into a maybe more degenerate form of that. It sort of devolved into something lesser than what it was previously. And you've heard these folk tales with respect to humans, elves, which is why it was in your sort of historical tales, and also gnomes but you haven't really heard of it in terms of other creatures. So it's a little bit puzzling, but you, ha- you, you, do, um, 
you do know also that uh, sometimes there are magical effects that can turn a sort of what you would call a quote normal human into a seafaring creature. But those are sort of fantastical wish fulfillment folktales and not something that you've ever conceived of or encountered in your life. Okay. So I'll tell you, tell uh, actually, so take this with a grain of salt, but I've heard old tales about uh, either, you know, people getting either cursed or enchanted to turn into some sort of, you know, humanoid sea creature hybrids of some sort. I don't really know the source of the stories, but you know, they've old, just old tales of, you know, that my people have told either way. We might just want to kind of steer clear of this thing. I agree. That sounds good to me. Maybe if this is some kind of devolved creature, it would be a shame we are forced into attacking and killing it if we can somehow maybe find a cure or a source somewhere else. Good point. Yeah. Okay. What's beyond like this building? So the the building the building looks like it has sort of three main areas. There are like two it looks like two sort of rooms and then beyond that there's one other small room. It wasn't a very big building in the first place. Um, and it doesn't look like there's hardly anything beyond it. A couple of trees, some grass, and then it looks like it then descends down into the bank of the other side of the island. It's not its not quite as big as you thought it was to begin with. Can we tell if it was some kind of built as some kind of dwelling or for some other purpose? It's definitely uh, sort of – it's a built structure. It's not a natural structure, and – it looks like it had a tower, like the, the third building that's in the back looks like it was almost like a tower structure, like maybe a watchtower or even a lighthouse or a bell tower of some sort. But it is really, really degraded, and it's hard to tell unless you actually get closer. Okay. Well, a tower would be a great place to at least get the lay of the land if it doesn't yield any other information. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, why don't we make our try to make our way around to to that and see if we can either get in and see what see what else is in this area. Lead the way. So, are you going to try to sneak because um, that creature is still in the closest area to you? We yes. circle around at um, a distance, still inside. You can circle around, but remember, there's gaps in the holes, and if you make too much noise, it might hear you. Presuming it has ears of some sort. Okay. Well, it seems like maybe the best we can do. Okay. I'm going to stay back with the dinghy. You're going to stay back with the what? I'm with going to the... stay back with the little boat. Oh, with the dinghy? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm going to let you guys handle this one. Um, proud if there's trouble, I'll come out. But I have a bad <laughs> feeling I'm going to screw this up. I don't know, Emeryn. You're, you're our... Uh... You're our anchor as far as avoiding in significant injury. I feel pretty good if you're with us. I won't be far. It's not that far away, right? It's just like around the building. It's you guys will be okay. It's probably from where you're standing right now to where they're going, where the old tower structure looks like. First of all, you're on the beach, and it's about ten feet up up the bank, okay. up the hill. And then it's also probably 120 feet away because you're going to the farthest part of the building from you so in in mechanical terms you can move 60 feet per turn 
So from where you are right now, you would not reach them until the third combat round, if there were combat. Okay. I'm not saying there is going to be combat. I'm just saying if there were, because you you would re- you would realize that that uh, you're you're probably you know only 20 seconds away if you run over there, but 20 seconds you know in combat terms that's three rounds. Yeah. I'll go with you guys if you really want me to, but I can't promise that I won't draw all this thing's attention. We'll just go very slow and very cautious. I think time's on our side. Okay. I guess I'm going then. Okay, so I will need a stealth check from everyone. Natural 20. Mm. <laughs> 24 total. Good for you, I got a 10. Yay, okay. It's not as bad as I thought, but... <laughs> what did it actually get? I got a 19. <laughs> so oh, 24, a 19, and a 10. Okay. <laughs> you guys can cover up my steps. <laughs> <laughs> so Konos is veritably invisible. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Uh, so you make your way towards the sort of back part of the structure that looks like the tower is there. And uh, it doesn't appear that anything or anyone has uh, detected you or seen you or heard you. Um, and as you approach this area, you see that it is indeed a structure that was more than one story. But for the most part, the top story is basically just a husk of whatever it was. It, it doesn't appear that it has been cared for. And it's probably been decades since it had any use or any care given to it. As you walk in you see that, uh, well, actually, as you walk up to the tower, you see four large crabs walking around inside the tower. Large as in probably three feet wide. Do these look like the, uh, the crabs that Marcel and I saw on the beach before we departed? They do not have skulls on their backs. They look more like the crabs that uh, Imarin and Axley and Ash encountered the first time. They are kind of decrepit, and they look like they have areas where they are rotting from inside. And they're scuttling around, you said, inside the tower or kind of around it? They're inside the, the tower that you're going toward. Can we see how many like points of exit are on this tower? Sure. The tower looks to be about... 30 feet by 40 feet, so it's slightly rectangular. And uh, the southwest corner of the tower, south, sorry, southeast corner of the tower has completely fallen down, and all of the rubble has um, fallen down to the base of a tree that's behind that part of the tower. And the northeast corner also has a large gap. And then the true north part of the wall actually has a door in it, but the door was wooden and has basically rotted two-thirds away. So there's the door entrance and then two other areas where you can see the crabs through them. Okay. Uh, which one are we closest to? Right now you're, uh, you've come up to where the door is. Because I'm, I'm wondering... I'm like very quietly whispering to this to you guys. I'm wondering if there's something underneath all of this where these things are like spawning from. But 
I want to get a closer look of the inside. Do you think there's something in there worthwhile, or do we double back and see what's on the northern side of the islands? Well, we came here to try to get vertical height to kind of look around the whole area. Oh, so you're getting uh, okay. Sorry. You want you, Amarin, You're saying you want to go inside the structure. Yeah, I want to see what's like inside the structure. If there's any like passageways or like underground structure that these things come up from. We're looking for a bigger one, and it has to be hiding somewhere. Okay. All right. Well, let me let me see if I can do something to clear the way for us and not give our position away. So these these crabs are all in a small space, right? They're all inside the base of this tower. They are inside the bottom floor, and it is 30 by 40. Okay. Will a sleep spell cover a good portion of that? Let's see. I was also thinking I could cast thaumaturgy and make a sound in the southeast corner, maybe lure them out so that we can kind of look around, at least for a minute, and then see if we can avoid them that way. Or you can cast some kind of illusion outside and lure them lure them out. We could also put them to sleep, but then we also risk waking them up. Yeah, it only lasts a minute. We only stay asleep for a minute. So Well, and also, actually, you know for a fact that your sleep spell does not affect undead creatures because they do not sleep. So if they are indeed undead, which you're actually unsure about at this point still, but if they are, then the sleep spell will not work at all. So that's actually a good test to know whether they're undead or not. <laughs> that's true. That. Yeah, that would actually be very good informational. So, okay. Um, it's a 20-foot radius, a so 40-foot total. So that's a pretty good amount of space. So if I center it in the center of the tower that includes the entrance. Mm-hmm then I should be able to see them and if it affects them, right? Yes, yes. Okay, why not? I'll give it a try. Uh, also, uh, just to let you know, they will they will know that you cast a spell on them, even if it doesn't work. Okay, well, I think at this point, uh, it's our best chance. Okay. I have one hand on my pendant of Goras and one hand on my face. <laughs> As Axley's getting ready to cast sleep, I'm going to... Spritz a little water from my water can from my water skin on myself. I'm going to cast Ar- Armor of Agathus. Okay. Since it requires a cup of water as a component. <laughs> and I'm also going to, before I cast it, I'm going to hum a little tune, and I'm going to give a bardic inspiration die to each of my friends. Ooh, okay. Okay, and I will cast Sleep. I'm looking up something about my creature... Okay, so you cast the spell, and all of the crabs sort of, um, they, they sort of, um, how do I say this? They kind of put pressure on their legs so that they are actually standing taller than they normally, you know, they normally sort of hunch over and walk on their legs, uh, and their legs are bent they kind of straighten out their legs, but not so that they flop to the ground, but they straighten them out almost as though they're listening for something or almost as though they hear something or feel something or something. And then they do that for about 20 seconds and then they fall to the ground. When they fall, they start, they 
kind of crash to the ground and they they kind of hit the ground with like a like a goosh like kind of thing and they they a couple of them kind of start leaking out as though they popped when they hit the ground and it smells really bad but they're not moving anymore so i don't know if that tells you okay well that was a semi-successful attempt <laughs> oh, we better get in there quick yeah i was gonna say let's move yeah <laughs> so we're searching through the rubble looking around maybe looking for high vantage points looking for low uh entryways passageways anything and everything okay so um you're only looking for like vantage points or are you searching the room for anything else or what are you what are you doing Generally searching, just looking around to see if there's anything interesting in here. Okay. I'm going to search if it's a stone floor. I'll, I guess I can search and see if there's any like loose, loose floor, floor spaces or anything like that. Okay. Axley? Yeah, I'll help search too since we've got a limited amount of time. Search different rooms. and. Well, it's one room. So are you searching okay. just the floor or – because they're both searching the floor basically. Okay, but I'll look through any kind of old furniture, rubble. Okay, so the the room is basically, so what you find in it is, uh, other than the four crabs that are sort of squooshed on the floor, what you find is that it looks like it was someone's quarters. Like it has a small, there's a small rotted bed frame against one wall, like really small, like uh, less than a twin size bed, kind of small. And then there is a desk, also wooden and also basically rotted away, uh, sort of crumpled to the ground. There's nothing in it, but you could tell that it was a desk where someone wrote things on. It was almost like one of those desks that folds, you know, the, the front of it folds down so you could write on it. There's a chair sitting there. And there's really nothing else. Um, there are some uh, residue of candles that were burnt down that were probably sitting on the desk. There's really nothing else in the room except everybody roll me a perception check, please. Three. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a four. Come on, uh, Twenty-one with the, the bonus. Okay. Axley decides that it's not enough to look at the desk. He also sort of pokes through it and finds two coral tablets. And the coral tablets have pictographs drawn or etched into them with uh, with chisels, so chiseled into them. And also, they have a, a a line of common down at the bottom. And the line of common says, "Invocation to reveal the blue plateau." And the pic the pictographs on the actual two tablets basically detail ritual instructions, but in a different way than remember uh, part of what you read on the ship was the set of ritual instructions, but they were partly obscured and they talked about forming triangles and you know using different parts of pieces of incense and and walking counterclockwise and things like that. This set of pictographs details the entire thing, except one of them is broken so that a third of the ritual is missing. But 
what you find from it is that the ritual is to be performed in uh, the middle of a set of standing stones, and that it will supposedly reveal a great truth about the Blue Plateau. Now, Imarin, while she was looking around, finds a fork made of gold. And the thing is, though, the fork is uh, almost a mechanical contraption, and the tines on the fork are shaped like crab claws. It looks, it looks more ceremonial than something that you would use as an everyday utensil. Is there an obvious set of stairs that goes up into the top of the lighthouse? No. Uh, the stairs were wooden, and you can see that they have basically crumbled to pieces. They've, they've actually been smashed rather than just rotted, and most of them are missing. You could probably, you could probably jump up and, well, maybe not Axley because he's very short, but Konos could probably jump up and grab onto the ledge of where the, where, where the second story would be in part, and pull himself up and possibly see something uh, in terms of a view. Um, Axley could as well, but he would have to be given a, a hoist or he would have to climb the walls. Well, we have limited time, and then our avenue of escape would be cut off if we climb up. So maybe at this point, best to just take our, our vines and leave. I'm right. spinning the fork in my hand. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. <laughs> Did we see any way outside to climb up to that area? Nope. Okay. Then, yeah, probably best to, to get out, unless it looks like the crabs just aren't moving at this point. They're not moving yeah. at all. Has it, been, has it been a minute at this point? It has not. It's only been, you know... I mean, while you were thorough, you were quick, right? You, you kind of didn't spend very much time at all. Okay. Yeah, so I think we should retreat in and observe and see what happens to them when the spell wears off. Okay. Okay. You are now standing outside of a what looks like a ruined tower that had someone's room in it, someone's bedroom or quarters or something, or maybe it was a study room. You're not really quite sure, but it is there, and uh, there are four sleeping or possibly dead crabs in there because they have not moved. No twitch, not a single snore, <laughs> not anything. We'll, we'll just back off. And you know, get it ready for action in the event it comes, and just wait for the spell to wear off and see what happens. Okay. So you wait. I look, oh, I go ahead. Look back towards the other building and just see if the uh, crab man is still chasing the fish around, or has maybe ho- hopefully not seen us. Uh, roll me a wisdom perception check. That was almost really good. Natural one. <laughs> I thought I got all the bad rolls out of the way in the first part of the session. The dream he taps us on the shoulder from behind and says, what are you looking at, guys? <laughs> uh, you don't see him in the other part of the building. Partly because your view is quite a bit obscured from, you're kind of on the other side now. So it's not that you poked yourself in your own eyes. It's that uh, the, the, the vantage point that you have from the ground here is not all that great. To be fair, one of my eyes is kind of covered at the moment. <laughs> that's true. That's true. With, with the sort of head scarf that I kind of yes. wear sideways, diagonally across Conus's face. I do have a question. Do you carry your bucket with auto in it all the time? Um, 
<laughs> tends to, yeah, and it'd be like sort of like hooked on a carabiner on his on his pack. Okay. I was gonna ask that when you like sprayed water on yourself, I was like, did you get that from your little friend, like octopus? But I <laughs> held off on that. No, just I didn't know how to name them. Little spritz from the water skin. <laughs> And so with it actually, and actually, like, so like when this when this spells on, he like grows little quills out of his skin, like like a little puffer fish. Mm. Okay, so we're currently just waiting to see if the crabs wake up. We're kind of I'm I don't know about you guys, but I'm ducking behind something and trying to hide, so we don't actually get seen if they do wake up. Okay, I'm about to hide behind like one of the rubble piles as well. Okay, uh, you want to give me a stealth check if you're hiding? Mm, sure. Do we have to? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, not bad. Uh, 12. Okay. Actually, are you hiding? Sure. Uh, I rolled an actual 20. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Remember, you have the bardic inspiration if you want to use it, too. That's true. Um, I'm going to save it because I'm a little worried about what's coming. <laughs> so, a minute goes by and you don't see any crab movements. There's no movement. There's no sort of sluggishly waking up. There's no nothing. There's nothing. That is very odd. Can I slowly creep in and go poke the closest one? Sure. Uh, do you want to give me a, an attack roll? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, natural 17. Okay, and plus your attack bonus? Uh, that would be... a 19. Okay. Uh, where are you trying to poke it? Like, just in the body, in the face, in the leg, in the... what? Just kind of on the body, just, like, on the side, just see if it moves. And if it does, I'm gonna book it back the other way. Okay, you poke the body, and it's like you poked a, if you can imagine a, a, a water balloon, but instead of being filled with water, being filled with jello that has mm. partially melted. So it's not like a, it's a sort of half, like, like slimy jelly. Um, okay. When you poke it, it's almost like the thing pops and you you hear a a forceful as if air and goo is escaping and this nasty bluish green jelly-like substance spills out of the creature and its body sort of deflates a little bit is there anything that i would know knowledge-wise searching my education about arcana that how a spell would affect something like this like maybe if it somehow because because the sleep spell is supposed to affect the living creature right so mm-hmm. if, if it somehow affected the living part of a creature that was possessed would it have an effect on the possession so you can roll me an arcana uh check for that okay. that would be uh 10 and my arcana is two so 12 total okay 
you don't know right off the bat. You don't know offhand. You're you're sort of uh, registering this in your brain, right? And you're trying to think about what could possibly be the issue. And nothing is immediately, you know, there's nothing where you go, aha, you know, I I, I understand. It's more like you're you're trying to pull together sort of disparate pieces of information that you've learned in the past and trying to make it work together in a way that you've never thought of it working together before. And the best you can come up with is you know that there are certain schools of magic that people experiment with. And when they mix certain energies, it creates effects that are often have not been seen before. And sometimes those effects are beneficial. They're happy accidents, and they become something that that particular caster uh, uses as a basis for developing a more powerful spell that they can actually control. Um, And sometimes people spend years developing things like this, uh, and a lot of their developments become failures because they don't actually – they're not able to reproduce an effect that's the best you can come up with at this point is possibly someone was experimenting or some sort of energy has been imbued into these creatures and maybe it's a little bit of a mistake or something. Uh, you, it's, it's, it's hard to tell from, from what you can see. You know, uh, you, you do have the option of trying to take a sample of some of this crab goo or of a whole crab itself or you know, if you wanted to do that, you could actually spend some time doing that. Yuck. Well, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be a high demand in the note world for a deflate gelatinous crab spell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so... Do we kind of get all that information from Axley as well? I mean, it's, you know, yes, if he tells you. He could he could just be ruminating about it and not actually say yeah, anything I yet. That's why I think it might work that way. Sure. Better to have more minds. Yeah. Okay. So I'm wiping crab goo off <laughs> my fingers. Um, Do you think it's an accident that occurred because of the Blue Plateau? Like they did some kind of ritual with the Blue Plateau and created these things that just keep spawning? Yeah, I guess as we just saw, anything can go wrong with magic if it's not properly administered or if it's deviated from. I mean, yeah, so I'll show you the tablets I found. It it appears that the writing here gives us most of the, the process for for the incantation, but we're still missing this bottom part. And it has to be performed in the circle of stones. I was going to say, why don't we go check out those standing stones on the north side? Sure. That would probably be a pretty good place to check next, yeah. Now the crabs are taken out of the picture, we can climb up uh, safely at this point and scope the place out better. Go for it. Is someone pretty good at climbing? Um, Fairly good, yeah. Well, okay. I'll try to get up there. And we probably have some rope to help out. I do, yeah. Somebody want to uh, give me a boost up, please? Sure. <laughs> you take a foot, I'll take a foot. We'll both lift. <laughs> lift him at an extreme angle. <laughs> <laughs> a little off-centered. <laughs> yeah. Footstool is still a stool. <laughs> if you take your time, you're probably fine. 
uh, and they'll help you jump up there and balance on that and all that stuff. So there's no role required. You can definitely accomplish uh, the, the climbing task up there as long as you take your time. Now, if you're trying to hurry, it's going to be a different story. It doesn't seem like there's any immediate threat right now, so we can probably take our time. Okay. And then once I'm up, I'll, yeah, I have a rope. I'll lower it down for the others to climb up if they want to come up to. Okay. Well, so when you're up there, you're standing on a uh, – it's not really the second floor. You're more standing on ruined walls. So just so you oh, know. So it's just like the, 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 the frame and the structure. Yeah. You're, you're basically – you're standing in a window frame that yeah. was – you know, the, the whole second floor is basically gone. So, which is why I said if you take your time, and they can, the other two of you can also climb up if you'd like to. I didn't mean to discourage that, but uh, it is a it is a thing where you need to take time, and if something attacks you, you could be in danger because you might fall down. Tell us what you see. <laughs> All right, I'll 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 survey the area, and what can I see? You see the standing stones to the north. You see the, the other building where uh, Axley originally saw the, the figure in the white robe. And it's it mostly has the whole entire south wall of that structure is missing. So it's, it's a pretty degraded structure as well. You do see that there are stones and different you know pieces of rubble and, and whatnot um, in that entire area. So it looks like a, a, it looks pretty worn down and used and degraded just like uh, this section that you're in. When you look over to the standing stones, what you see is 10 standing stones. And they are roughly in an oval, and they're actually thinner than you than you originally had thought. They are made of stone, but you notice that on the on the top of them is uh, some sort of etching that put together. It it looks like possibly if you got closer, you could see that it maybe was some sort of forming some sort of picture of some type of symbol. You're not really quite sure. The uh, the tops the top sort of layer of the stone has a piece of marble on it, and in the on, on the ground in between, you know, in in the sort of oval or circle area that's in between the standing stones, you see that there is something written in the ground. It's sort of carved into the ground, uh, and the ground there is more sort of soil and grass. It's not stone, and it it's not something that has been. Uh, it's not a structure. Um, but in that, you see that something has been, you know, sort of like if you took, if you went to the beach and you took a stick and you drew something in into the sand, the like, sand. like yeah. that. And also, you see four figures in white robes holding hands inside the center of the standing stone area. Okay, do they are they just do they look like they're do? Can I make out if they're like doing any kind of ritual or ceremony, or are they just standing there? Uh, you can't tell. In fact, from this distance and from the angle that you're at, it's you can't even tell if they have human hands or crab claws because the the way that the robes are falling against their hands. Gotcha. Okay, so I'll I'll tell everybody what I see. Like, well, there's four other there's four other figures in white robes uh, standing in the middle of the stones. They're doing something. It's kind of too far to make a way to make out exactly what they're doing, and it looks like there's something written on or carved into some of the tops of some of those stones. Mm-hmm. Sounds definitely like a ritual site or something going on. Yeah. Well, okay. in event, that sounds like the source. So whether we <laughs> interfere with it or stop it or discover what it is, that seems to be where we focus our attention. Okay. Well, before you do that, I'm going to stop us. And we're going to move from the 
active game portion of the podcast into the into the discussion, the debriefing part of the podcast. So to start that off, how does everybody feel? Great. It's great to be underway, to be on yep. the water and the other adventure. Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> Yep. So uh, my standard, my sort of standard list of questions is, begins with, what did you learn this week? <laughs> we learned that we're kind of far off the map um, based on kind of your, the, the geographical descriptions we got of the area and kind of the barriers uh, that kind of make up this world. And we learned, we learned, we know a lot less about this world and our immediate surroundings than maybe we thought once you get away from the the one island we're familiar with anything can happen we're also coming across a lot of information that i guess isn't really well known especially about this blue plateau thing um like the crabs like there's a lot of stuff happening in the world that is really interesting that we're kind of discovering as we go and emran's story too has interesting i was gonna yep. say and then there's my whole story because i'm still like <laughs> freaking out about that um, but yeah, just really kind of fleshing out the characters, figuring out who they are and what their stories are we're in more of a meta way. That's also what we're learning. Okay. Um, so is there anything that, so we went through that dream sequence, uh, pretty quick. Is there anything that you want to ask me about that? I'll tell you whether you re- whether you saw it or realized it or whatever. I, I went kind of fast, and I really didn't let you get a word in edgewise because it was meant to be like that. So if there's something that you just really strikes you as you'd really like to know the answer to it, you can ask, and I'll tell you if I can tell you. <laughs> I don't think so. I took some good notes, and okay. just generally, I think... That was such a twist. My mind is just like not even letting me think past that. <laughs> okay. Um, no, yeah, it made sense. And I have like the majority of the most important things down. Um, my questions are more like questions Emran would be asking herself, like, where is this place? What was her mother doing there? Is her mother the daughter of Goras? Was her mother in relation to any of these gods or goddesses, like she mm-hmm. didn't really know her mother as well as she would have liked. So there's a lot of questions of her character, what she's doing there, why she's got a bounty on her head, just that kind of thing. Those are more my questions than about the dream sequence itself. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I can't answer any of those. <laughs> I mean, well I could, but <laughs> Uh, so here's a question that is uh, pretty important to me. So there's, there's a two-part question. The first one is, you know, is there anything about the mechanics that you're confused about or you wish you understood how they worked better or you're curious how I'm adjudicating something and maybe it wasn't what you – how it didn't work how you thought it would? Like anything like that. And you don't have to like come up with something. But if there is something, I would be happy to discuss it. Um, mostly for Nina and David, since you haven't played a lot. But Matt, of course, you can always ask as well. I know you have a little more 5th edition experience than they do. 
I'm I'm happy that you give it seems like you give like a broad leeway for things like illusions and prestidigitation and thaumaturgy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because those can be very fun boxes of tool of tools to kind of play around with. If if like mm-hmm. if everyone's kind of saying are going to be on board with like how descriptive and how creative those spells can be, because otherwise it seems those are spells and stuff that can be like they can either be really really effective if the players are creative and the DMs has a lot of leeway on allowing players to do stuff with them or if they're if they're not if it's kind of more constrict uh, restrictive uh view on those then it's like well then there's not a whole lot of point with it but it seems like mm-hmm. to use and stuff like that but you see like you're gonna have a pretty lo- pretty broad leeway on that which i think uh actually i think is gonna like uh, quite a bit as well i know you were you used solution <laughs> stuff in the last the last episode with uh, the phantasmal force and everything yeah which is yeah. one of my favorite spells <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just fun for me too it's like i'm trying them out right i'm like kind of trying these out for the first time and so it's learning experience too to kind of know the, the boundaries and what they're capable of. Yep. Okay. Okay. What can I do better? That's a very difficult question to ask, and it's usually also a difficult question to answer because what often happens is people are afraid to critique someone. But you know, I'm a human being, and I I'm not perfect. And even though I have many years of DMing experience, I by no means consider myself an expert. So, uh, you know, sometimes I have a vision in my head of how things are going and how to tell you about something. And sometimes I fail at describing something or giving you enough information to do the things you need to do. Uh, and sometimes I fail. I usually, sometimes people have a problem railroading. Usually my failures err on the other side where I leave too much out and you're at a loss as to where to go. So just to encourage you, if that ever happens, if you're in an area and you want to know more about what you actually see, just ask me to elaborate. And I'll elaborate as much as possible. Um, sometimes I can't elaborate more because of whatever conditions are that are not allowing you to actually see it. But sometimes I, I just didn't don't realize that I don't give enough details or I didn't give enough information because in my brain it's all there, right? And the, the hard the hardest job I find of being a DM is giving it to you in a way that you can act on things and not just be told what to do, but also things can be changed by your decisions. And that's what I, that's what my goal is. That's what I strive for. So if there's ever a point where I don't give you enough, just ask me for more. I feel like at least for this session, you did a pretty good job when we were doing the exploration of kind of setting the scene in a way that kind of lets us see through your eyes and get a good scope and grasp of what everything looks like, but not like giving away too much information. But we can still like take action to, to learn more. Okay. I agree with that because personally, I feel like I'm very comfortable like asking if I want more information because mm-hmm. even like in this session, I asked how many exits are there because mm-hmm. I had an idea and you were able to give me the information and then we took a different course of action than maybe we wouldn't have had there been no ex- exits or entrances or whatnot. So okay. I feel like that's a perfectly fair thing that we can all kind of work together on get a visual picture so we all have enough information and i feel very comfortable just saying hey can i have more information okay i'm glad that you were um 
we're, we're thinking to do stuff with that because I know when I play more theater than my stuff, I don't, I don't, I'm not always kind of as quick on the draws for asking for details like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe it takes more, takes it longer for the, for stuff like that to pop in my head. Yeah, plotting and planning. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for the for if the audience doesn't know, Nina started running a game. Uh, right. Yeah. So here, so here's my question, Nina. You're on the hot seat now. Uh, oh, good. Do you, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> do you um, what do you find is the biggest difference between playing and running? Mm, there's a lot more going on as a DM than there is as a player. I think you're running different things at the same time. You're thinking ahead. What if they do this? What if they do that? You're always kind of having to be on a little bit of a defensive, like, okay, what's going to happen? Whereas the player, you're kind of on an offense as as if like, what can I do? Where can I grab information and act on these things? So I feel like the DM is giving, whereas the players are kind of receiving. And I think it's kind of an, it's a really interesting flip Um, One that I really enjoy because I love giving that information and watching what they do with it. Um, It's fascinating because they come up with things I never would have thought of. And I love it when they run with that kind of thing because then I'm like, well, there goes all my notes and we're just going to draw this one. But then it requires you to be just as creative too because then you have to like come up with something totally new on the fly. But generally those have been like, yeah, those have been really good sessions because I'm not like trying to push them in. They've even said this. I'm not trying to push them in a direction. They just get to do stuff that they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, to uh, in a very elaborate way to answer your question, I think um, having the information and being able to dole it out and watch what happens with it is definitely um, a flip side to this. Of the game I DM as like like Nina saying like the I oh I try to plan pretty meticulously and sometimes over plan and then there's always that moment in a session yep. where somebody does something completely out of the box that I didn't I sh- probably should have an- should anticipate because I've been <laughs> playing with this group for a couple of years now it's like okay I I probably should have thought of you know inspect to do something crazy like that but now right. it kind of throws me for a loop but that's also can be the most fun part of it because i'm like okay well now how now i have to think on the fly and improv and and and, do, and work that in and so it can be both very stressful but very f- enjoying and fun as well when stuff like that yeah. happens now david ha- did you ever run games or were you always a player no i've always been a player have you ever considered running games <laughs> yeah i've considered it <laughs> yeah what stops you if i might ask uh, I just don't have a steady group right now mm-hmm. that I would do that with. Um, but that might change, you know, once I get to a, a place where I'm living in one place full time and I can cultivate mm-hmm. a friend group around me that then I would have the opportunity to really commit to. Because I think the way I, the, the games I enjoy the most, I want to run a game where it's really in depth, like a campaign, like a long mm-hmm. campaign. I don't want to just do short one shot adventures. And so in order to do that, it really requires you to have the time commitment to prep a lot of prep time and have a lot of commitment with a single group yeah yeah for have sure you ever, have you ever looked at uh, like using roll 20 is like just say hey here here's here's hey random people out there who wants to just come do a one shot this weekend or something like that because that can be a good way to get something like that started no i haven't i haven't but i probably should consider it yeah it's really fun i do find that online 
online games uh, using things like Roll20. See, this is a little bit different because I can see you all because we're using video stream. Normally, when I do something with Roll20, I don't put the video on because it's too much of a resource hog for my computer. So it's all voice and then the maps and everything for Roll20. And it's really different not being able to see people. Uh, and that's kind of my biggest hurdle in terms of online things. And in fact, I was a little bit leery of that with this game when I was trying to find players and start this game. And then that's why I made sure to say, you know, well, this is going to be video because we're streaming. And while we're not putting a ton of maps or whatever on, we're still we need to see people talking. Um, and it makes a big difference when I can see sort of facial expressions and hand move. I don't know if you notice I talk with my hands a lot, <laughs> um, but just the the sort of that the body language there, I can see a little bit of it, and it and it it goes a long way with you know when I'm running a face to face game, it's a lot different being able to tell if I'm losing a player, right? Like if if their if their sort of mind is about to wander because you know whatever, maybe they're not having spotlight time or something, and and I know that I need to pivot to them momentarily at least to get them back in so that I don't lose them for the whole rest of the session. Um, that's a lot harder in a, in a situation like this, but it's even harder than this when you're doing it with roll 20 and no video um, yeah. because you just don't see people. And honestly, also people at home, if they're, if they get distracted, you know, there's a lot of things to distract them because they're at home. So it has huge benefits I find, but there's also that, that sort of ability to be distracted that is uh, uh, it's a difficult thing to overcome so you kind of have to get a group that's really dedicated one of the nice things about having everybody on video is one it can can, can like prevent crosstalk like everyone mm -hmm. trying to communicate or talk at once so it can can people can like see you know cues about when to jump in and when to when to, to not talk also like you said like as far as keeping the players engaged being able to see everybody and everybody being able to see everybody kind of it, it, it provides for a bit of accountability because it's pretend it's possible to see like when if someone's like tuning out or, or not focusing or whatever right right it's pretty tough i also uh i have a lot of um i have a lot of dm toys what i call dm toys <laughs> uh it, that is i i have lots of maps and i don't use miniatures but i use tokens um, and I have, I have some, uh, some, you know, different little interesting things that I use at the table that I don't have when I run online. And so it's a, it's an interesting thing. Cause on, on one hand, it's like, oh, I don't, I can't just put up this map and show you and everybody can look at it. But on the other hand, actually, you know, I started playing a long time ago when really there weren't maps, um, and so everything that the players experienced relied on the DM explaining it to them or describing it to them. And then every, it's kind of like, um, you know, everybody has their own theater in their mind happening. And so they see things a little bit differently. Well, like when I say something is just stone, you know, one of you might imagine sandstone and one of you might imagine really deep granite and one of you might imagine some kind of, you know, red rocky stuff. Um, someone might imagine marble or, you know, and so sometimes it's important to point out specifically how something is created, like what it's actually made of. And sometimes it's important to just be kind of generic so that people can form their own imagination around it. Um, yeah, like when you were describing the standing stones uh, that are in this, the part we're going to next, the, the the question of the image that popped into my head was like, okay, is this like a Stonehenge type formation, or is this something like the Moai statues out in the South Pacific and something like that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
or something completely different. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, and that's, I, I try to purposefully sometimes leave those things open. That way you can let your own brain fill it in. Um, and then, and then also what's interesting about that is when your own brain is filling in those things, you get a little bit of a sense of ownership, right? Yep. Cause it's, it's my scene, darn it. And I'm in it and I'm, you know, uh, and that's one of the reasons also you mentioned being flexible with things like illusions and whatnot. I'm all, I'm also flexible with positioning, right? Um, when you're talking about a bunch of characters in a room, you know, if I say, well, there's a door on one wall and there's a couple of windows on another and then there's some stairs up on the back wall. And then I say, well, you know, these people are gathered around a table in the middle of the room. That interpretation relies on your own brain to fill in the blanks there. So if if one of you assumes it looks one way and the other one assumes it looks a different way, you know, I have to make that meet in the middle somewhere without destroying your own idea of how it was supposed to look. And so I try, I try really hard to do that. We have not actually gotten into any major battles, so I haven't had a problem with that with, with this game yet. But when it starts becoming a super-duper active, like, oh, there's, you know, 15 different creatures on the, you know, in the scene, including you guys, it's going to be a little more difficult. But hopefully you'll find that I'm pretty flexible with that because I find it's just easier. You know, we're here to have fun, not to have me say, oh, well, actually, that guy's not there, you know. <laughs> yeah. right. and, and I agree. And from my experience, I mean, when you're not dealing, when you're dealing more with theater of the mind and less with maps and absolutes, it's more, it leads to more trust and collaborative storytelling between everyone in the game. Because then no one's focused on, oh, well, this combat, I have to move three squares to get within range of my spell. And that's, mm-hmm. that's not the focus. The focus is what would, what do you like to do? What do you want your character to do? What do you want your effect to be? What do you want to happen? And then it's like you work together with the dungeon master to try to achieve that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so next question. Uh, is there anything, I asked you guys this last time and asked you to think about it, but is there anything that you want to make sure that you uh, explore with respect to your characters that either we haven't done yet or that you want to make sure it it fits in. Uh, there's a, there's an old saying, um, there's an old sort of adage that basically says, look, if you're, if you're a DM and your PCs um, put a bunch of skill points into animal handling, for example, that means they want to handle animals. <laughs> you know, uh, they don't want to feel like they wasted their character creation energy on something that doesn't play any part in the game. So, it's, we're still we're still early here. We're only in the fourth session, but um, if there's something that you end up, you know, that you have and that you're looking forward to making sure that you get to exploit with your character, feel free to mention it or shoot me an email and just say, "Hey, I just leveled up," or "I when I leveled up to level four, I got this really awesome power," or whatever. And I really want to make sure that 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 I can use that because I'm really super excited, you know. And I'm I take that stuff and I you know, I, I try to incorporate those things because, you know, this is just as much your game as it is my game. I mean, I know from my character, like from a mechanical aspect, I know there's some things I'm looking forward to doing, like once we get to higher levels and stuff, like one of the, one of the custom spells you have in your, in your world guide, I'm, mm-hmm. is something I'm really looking forward to, to using just because I think it's going to really fit the nature of, of this character and kind of the powers that he's been, been invested with. So I'm looking forward, like once we get to around fifth or sixth level, being able to do that. Uh, okay. The one thing that jumps into mind. Cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, I think we're in the zone now of like, this is the best 
range, character range to play in terms of level and experience and ability. Uh, I think that when you're discovering your character and you're excited for every new level that comes and the new ability that it gives you, and then you can work that into your character's personality and bag of tricks, that's exciting and fun. When you get to the point where you have a 15th level character and you know intimately that this spell is going to decimate the entire room, <laughs> and then it's just... It's boring at that point, I think. Yeah. I don't like playing high-level characters. That's the point where your DM is supposed to make sure it doesn't decimate everything in the room and that you're surprised. <laughs> yeah. That's what Balance is fun. <laughs> and I, I've never played – I've never gotten to that one. I think eighth level is probably about the highest level I've I've gotten to in, in a campaign before. So, But yeah. I, I definitely like sort of the, the lower levels. I kind of – that gives you like the feeling of like you're starting out, you're building a fresh character, you're learning what they can do, and, and also who they're going to – be and develop into as the as the story goes on and you're somewhat fragile which is fun it's, it's fun to be vulnerable <laughs> yeah um so nina you mentioned something a couple of sessions ago you noticed on the map that which mm-hmm. also by the way for the listeners there is a link to the map in the show notes uh so that you could actually look at it it's a pdf uh, it's not very large so it won't bog down your system uh here's the thing about this map um, on in the upper portion of this map, there is an island that looks like it has a dinosaur on it. And Nina mentioned that <laughs> at some point and said, oh, uh, did anybody else see the dinosaur on the map? <laughs> oh, yeah. Far north, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so that was uh, – so my question to you, Nina, is do you really want to go there or were you just curious about the fact that suddenly oh, there's the – Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Absolutely. All right. A hundred percent. Okay. I I would love to explore as much of the map as physically possible within the game, um, while maintaining reason. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess staying in one place for too terribly long. I don't know. It would really depend, but I would like to focus on a little bit of exploration for sure. Um, but depending on like where we are, like if there's a lot to explore in the island, like on the island that we're in, mm-hmm. I don't know. Just like finding out what this whole thing is, what is in this world is really fascinating to me personally, um, probably as well as Emeryn. So, um, but yeah, I would love to go to the dinosaur island. Okay. All right. I'm curious about the the uh, area kind of northwest of our home area where the giant lobster is. <laughs> yes, I saw that one too. Yeah, <laughs> all of the giant things. Although we're we're probably fighting its little crab brother at some point in time. Um, what do you think? What do you think the blue plateau is? I have no idea. But I have a theory based on how you kind of use the phrase plateau in other parts mm-hmm. of your book. Do you want me to say it or take my guess? Or? Sure, take it, guess. I won't tell so, you whether you're right or wrong. Okay. <laughs> so my thought is it's basically the elemental plane of water. Oh, interesting. It's based on like, because I'm, I'm pulling up the world book here. <laughs> Because uh, you talk about like the green plateau, which I'm thinking might be the Feywild, the dark plateau, which might be the Shadowfell, the plane of stars, which might be the uh, uh, the astral plane. So kind of based on those, how I'm interpreting those conventions, the I'm, my, that's why I'm thinking blue plateau might be plane of elemental plane of water. Interesting. Okay. Anybody else have a conjecture? 
And I was thinking, yeah, at first it invoked like an otherworldly sense of like a plane, an elemental plane maybe, or just another plane of existence. But then I think about that. And I think about if you think of the rising of the ocean, that maybe the ocean itself is the plateau, right? Like a rising plateau. And you have the flat plane of the ocean that's risen up. Maybe that's, it refers to just the, hmm. the rising of the ocean. Interesting. Okay. In this episode and the last one, um, with this ritual, we're kind of uncovering it. So it's this invocation to reveal the blue plateau. So yeah, it could be right. It could be something that's hidden in this world and is being kind of exposed or brought into, brought to light with this. Or like merged with whatever plane of existence we're on. Oh yeah, like planar overlays and stuff like yeah. that. Hmm. Certainly fascinating. Interesting. I'm interested um, in you said something on Twitter that caught my attention about the <laughs> time, the gods mm-hmm. of time. Yes. So I I'm wondering how much of this is. Um, because Straubin, like I said, I was doing my research on our break. Um, there's like a theory that Straubin um, caused the sinking as retribution for being forgotten. So I'm wondering how much of it is like um, related to like the gods and their doings and how much of it is created by a uh, human or mortal what was it that I said on, on Twitter about time? Do you remember? I don't really remember. <laughs> you said something about the God of time being like very, I don't think you use the word important, but something about the God of time. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at one tweet you have where it says uh, time is a deific entity. And if you mess yes. with time, you might get more than you bargained for. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm play testing. Uh, I, I, um, yesterday I ran a play test uh, from uh, my home group for one of the adventure scenarios in um, Mike Shea's fantastic adventures, The Ruins of Gr- the Grindle Root, um, which he just did on Kickstarter. And one of the things in there is something called the Everclock. And the Everclock is a gnomish contraption, invention, piece of equipment, however you want to say it, that measures time but it's not just a a clock it measures time and it tells you exactly when the beginning of the birth of the world was and it also tells you the end Mm. and so you can see it you can see time passing it has several faces it's not just one clock it has it's a big contraption so it has several faces and on each face it tells you something different so you know it's sort of like when you look at if you if you ever, you know, if you like, if you have a, uh, an iPhone or something and you go on to like the world clock app and it'll show you what time it is in all these different places, you know, on around the globe because of all these time zone changes and all that. Well, this is kind of like that, except it tells you things about time in relation to the material plane because, uh, and now, now here's my, so that's really cool, right? And I, that, that sort of seed of the idea is there. But then if I apply it to Ruberin, the, the world you're in right now. That means because time is an, an entity that is also a deity, now you're talking about um, measuring the activity of a god. And if you change that 
in some point, at some point you're talking about interfering with the lives of the deities and that could cause trouble. So that like fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing like, you know, like, like sort of the, the sort of like Mayan or Aztec calendar stones with how you describe the, the ever clock and, mm-hmm. and also say uh, having, I'm, I'm a backer for that Kickstarter. So now I'm really looking forward to, to getting it. <laughs> so, oh, it's really good. Yeah. It's, it's, I've, I've already play tested three or four of the scenarios. So it's, it's got some really fun stuff and it's mostly for low levels. So it's stuff that really, it's some, it really is. There are some fantastic elements, but it's a really nice, you know, sort of mystery set up and it's it's pretty good um so yeah i'm super looking forward to the finished product because i think it's a it's beautiful too some of the artwork is really really great so uh in any case is there anything else anybody would like to talk about ruminate on think about All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening and i'm sam dillon you can find me on twitter at dm samuel and do you all want to give your Twitter names and any kind of link that you want to listed? Matthew? Uh, I am at mbridell on Twitter. All right. Nina? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, nbase. And David? Uh, no, I don't really have an active Twitter. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. And I hope everybody enjoyed it. And we will see you next time. Right. Great. Bye. Bye.